afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zibikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja, inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame has scored! Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones a letter room, Tony Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores! Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sons of Saturday. I'm Tyler Rojack. Luke Smith is here, and we're joined by a great friend of the program, Ashton Pollard. And guys, it's finally here. It's game week for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and I'm pumped up to be here today. We're going to do our full game preview of the matchup between the Irish and the Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll go over our expectations for the new coaching staff. We'll go over some keys to the game on both sides of the ball. And then, you know, we'll do our score predictions at the end. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the video below. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, Please subscribe, rate, and review there as well. Before we get into the game, um, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by The Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. The Haas lives a life without reservations, without doubt, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SONS, that's S-O-N-S, for 15% off on your next order. Check it out. We've got another promo code for you, courtesy of Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback for those who crave activity. Use the promo code SUNSND, S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. We've talked about it before on this podcast, and we posted about it on our social media as well. You guys got to check out the Shamrock Polo that Roback just released. If you haven't seen it, it's Navy with green and gold shamrock print. It's a perfect item to use your promo co- code on. Again, that's sonsnd at roback.com. All right, Ashton, we got to get to you. Uh, you're now formerly of on3 and blueandgold.com, and I'll mention that you also wrote at Sons of Saturday a while ago. I don't know if our listeners remember that. So first off, thank you for coming on. We know you're in the midst of a tra- uh, career transition, so to speak. Uh, what can you share with our listeners about what's been going on in your life as of late? Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me back. Always love being on with the Suns. Um, in terms of transition, yeah, so today is Monday. So Sunday was my last day at Blue and Gold. Um, I'm actually not working this week, which is kind of weird because I just spent nine months preparing for this game that I'm now not working, <laughs> but whatever. Um, in terms of next steps, haven't released exactly what it's going to be, but I'll be staying in the South Bend area and I'll still be involved with Notre Dame in some way. So um, hoping to hoping to get that out in the next week or so and, and we'll see what happens next. But yeah, thanks again for having me on. Of course. Now, I got to say, you might be the first Notre Dame beat writer to never actually cover a single game. <laughs> How excited were you when you found out you could just go to this Ohio State game as a fan? Pretty excited. Um, at first, it was... I mean, it's, it's obviously a different experience, right? 
So you're going, you're working, you're in the box. That's cool. But you can't really tailgate. You can't really hang out. It's, it's work. So, um, I was excited. I get to go. My best friend from college is actually from Columbus, went to Ohio state med school and is now doing a residency in Philly, but it's coming back for the game. Um, her dad had some nice tickets. So I'll be, I'll be sitting on about the 50 yard line, which will be quite the experience, but yeah, really looking forward to it. I think my dad and my brother are coming up too, which I'll get to see them a little bit more now that I don't really have a schedule. So it'll be fun, but it'll be, it'll be weird because I, again, I just spent, well, I was at BGI for nine months, but then I was at on three since last August. So over a year having to be the objective journalist, and now I get to be a little bit of a fan again. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Luke, how excited are you for this wedding this weekend? Uh, yeah, that'll be fine. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about that. But anyways, the actual game. That's uh, I'm excited. Obviously, like I feel like we don't get this this often. You know, it's not like a, a random rice game to open the year or something like that. Like, kind of feels like a bit of a throwback to the late 80s when Notre Dame would open up with a marquee opponent, like a top five Michigan team. Um, and, and that excites me. And it seems like Notre Dame's kind of leaning into it, too. You saw Tommy Reese the other day say, like, it's an opportunity you live for. Basically, we're playing football at Ohio State first week of the season. If it does get your blood going, find a new sport. Um, I like that, and I like that mentality. Um, frankly, the fact that there's been so much time Build in, of build up for this game makes me feel confident that that Notre Dame is going to show up and be competitive in this game. So I'm ready to go, and it, it seems like everybody else is too. Yeah, one of our friends pointed out this week that when this game was first announced, we were actually in college, and we thought, "Wow, we're going to be so old when that game actually comes around." And now it's here. Kind of snuck are. up on us a little <laughs> bit. And yes, we are quite old. Ashton, I know you're going to be at the game. We asked about you know the fan experience. About the game, though, how are you feeling? We're a few days away. It's been talked about for months. I know you were doing like a countdown at Blue and Gold. So literally day by day, you've been getting ready for this. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, no, we started at 100 and four members of our staff alternated through. So every four days, I um, had a very in-my-face reminder about how long it was. Um, I guess i describe it as probably cautious optimism, which scares me a little because typically when I go into Notre Dame, big game like this I'm like they're gonna get killed they pleasantly surprise me it's when I start feeling and well I know we're gonna get to predictions later I don't think they're gonna win this game but I feel like they're gonna be competitive well, spoiler all right <laughs> please keep listening do not turn up um but I feel like they're gonna be competitive and that scares me a little bit because if they're not I'm not sure that I can handle after all of this offseason hype I'm not sure that I can handle the crushing blow of just getting blown to smithereens by the Ohio State receiving core but We'll see. I'm excited. I think there are there's some really good one-on-one talent matchups here where I think Notre Dame has an advantage. So I'm interested to see if they can actually hold on to that advantage. I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, but overall advantage Ohio State. But I are I do think there are little battles that Notre Dame can win in here, which does excite me. Okay, that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting point though, because if you go back and look at it. Like, I feel like the ones where I've been most confident that Notre Dame is just going to roll have actually been the worst. Like Miami, no 2017. Doubt. Oh, my God. Um, Michigan, 2019 <laughs> is up there, too. Yeah. And then on the converse of that is that the Georgia game in 2019, I think I thought we were going to lose by 100, and we could have won that game. So it that that's interesting. And, and then, well, I'll get into how I feel about this <laughs> later. So this one might just be an outlier. But anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, another one where I felt extremely confident going into the game and was quickly just destroyed by reality was uh, the, the ACC championship. 
Well, the ACC championship <laughs> for sure. I didn't know if I, I didn't feel like confident, like super confident going to the game. I definitely thought Notre Dame could win, and I, I made the very clear mistake of thinking that Trevor Lawrence playing wasn't that big of a deal because DJ Uyunglele <laughs> threw for like 400 plus yards. I'm like, okay, well, how big of a difference is it going to make? Apparently, a lot. So that game, yes, but I was actually thinking of the uh, CFP semifinal against Clemson. I guess oh, yeah. it was because we were like brainwashed uh, in the days before that game when we were hanging out in Dallas, Luke. And I think you and I talked about this, how we didn't see a Clemson fan, literally not uh-huh. one person until we walked into Jerry World. And, and there was, they all were. There they all were. It was like, we thought it was going to be like 65, 35% Notre Dame, and it just was not. It was, there's a hell of a lot of Clemson fans there, and that Clemson team was uh, uh, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> they were all right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like going into this game, I feel a little bit similar to the, that Georgia game in 2019, but it's a little bit different because at that point, Notre Dame had a few games already under their belt, and they didn't look that great. This, mm-hmm. we have really no idea what to expect with this team. It's a new regime. Um, but this sort of segues into an uh, announcement that was made since our last episode. Notre Dame announced its captains for the 2022 season. Some familiar faces, Avery Davis, Jared Patterson. Uh, some new captains as well, including Michael Mayer, J.D. Bertrand, Bo Bauer, and Isaiah Foskey. It's a new coaching regime, but some leaders on this team who've been here for a while and who have already made uh, a big presence on the field at Notre Dame. Ashton, what did you think of this group? And I guess the timing of the announcement, because it was pretty close to the start of the season. Yeah, so I think you look at those six, and there aren't really any surprises to me on that list. I think it's fantastic that Avery Davis is still a captain. Marcus Freeman actually talked about it today in his press conference that it was basically the moment that he was with Davis after he tore his ACL in his apartment, and Davis's just desire to still be with the team and help the team kind of showed Freeman that this team needed Davis as a captain. And I don't know the ins and outs of how this voted work, voting worked, but, you know, um, Patterson obviously makes sense. I mean, I think there were so many returning veterans on, especially on the defensive side, that there were about, like, 10 guys that if you said they're a captain, I would have been like, mm, kind of makes sense, okay. Um, obviously, the offense is a lot younger and a lot less proven, so it makes sense that there are fewer offensive captains. But, yeah, I mean, no, no surprises to me, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't really think I have any issues with anybody in this group. I, I guess the only one that I thought might be a captain who ended up not being was Jack Kaiser. But there's just so many. I think others that filled those roles that I guess it's not a uh, a big deal either way. That was just the only thing. And then in terms of the timing, like I kind of looked at this a couple of days ago. They've kind of been all over the map with when they announce captains and when they don't. Like sometimes it's a couple of days before the game. Sometimes it's at the start of fall camp. The 2017 time was when they named Deshaun Kaiser a captain, and then he left for the draft the next week. Uh, so, like, they were, they've really been all over the map with this the last five or six years. They really have. And one topic that came up last year uh, was the amount of captains. Is that directly correlated to the team's success? We, are, we don't know for certain, but last year, Notre Dame had seven captains. This year, they have six. Are you, is that cause for concern, Luke? Um, I mean, didn't they have like basically the year that Kaiser was named a captain? Wasn't that going to be like nine captains? Yeah, I we think? had a walk on too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. It could be an issue, and maybe like why isn't Jack Kaiser number seven? That could be. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing <laughs> it out there. But 
I'm, I'm trying to remember, like, the origin of this. Weren't people, like, actually legitimately pissed off about how many captains there were last year? Like, if there's this many captains, and that means you have no leaders at all or something like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was It was one of those things where it was like, okay, all of you need to find a hobby, because if you have to worry about that, like, I'm really jealous, because I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Ashton, you spent more time on the message boards than any of us, because it was literally your job for nine months. It was. You're well in tune with the discussion on the boards. Yeah, people, uh, some of them have some concerns that I'm just, again, not really sure where they find the time to find those yeah. concerns. At least we know it's not exclusive to Notre Dame fans because the uh, Twitter account message board geniuses shows us that there's psychos in every fan base across the country and they all like to post on message boards. Mm-hmm. I, I think we move on from captains, another little house cleaning item before we get to Ohio State. Um, Notre Dame released its two deep depth chart for week one. Now, it's hard to say how much this means, these depth charts, because, for example, Notre Dame has three wide receivers listed. How often are they going to have three wide receivers out there at the same time? I don't know. The defense, same thing, where they're going to be rotating a ton of guys. But, Ashton, did anything from this too deep stick out to you? Yeah, I think the first thing that I noticed, maybe it's because of the order it was in, but Jaden Thomas is listed um, as a number one wide receiver along with Lawrence Styles, which is not a surprise. And then Braden Lindsay, which is not a surprise, but I don't really know exactly how I feel about that. And I can dive into that more in a minute. But um, I think it just, it, it also, the way that they're organized. So like in theory, the way that this is, is they have Styles on the boundary and they have Thomas in the slot which is completely the opposite of what we kind of thought going into fall camp. And obviously they play all over the place. You move them, whatever. But I think that just kind of shows that they're really going to be playing all over the place this year, that you have a six, one guy listed technically as the starting boundary receiver. Um, and you have your two, six, four guys. One of them granted it's Tobias Merriweather, a true freshman. It's not even listed on the two deep. And then Colsey is listed as styles backup. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm more optimistic about this group than I was maybe right after the Davis um, ACL tear. So what is that now? About three weeks ago. Um, just because the the coaches seem to be really high on this group. And of course, that's assuming that they can stay healthy, which I hope that they can. But when it comes to Lindsay, I was kind of shocked. No, I guess no offense to Brian Lindsay, but I was kind of shocked at just how excited both Reese and Chancey Stuckey were about him. Like you can say like, oh, he's had a good camp, whatever, like the typical coach speak. But Reese like lit up when talking about him was like, I can't say enough good things. Stucky said he was a top three, one of the top three hardest workers on the team. So that, I mean, we'll see exactly what that looks like on the field. But I think when Lindsay decided to come back, there was a little bit of, oh, he just wants to go to the NFL. He's not really going to get a lot of playing time, blah, blah, blah. But it seems like he is and they're pretty high on him. So I think I'll just say first that at least they put out a depth chart. Apparently, Texas is not doing that before week one. Ohio State isn't either. Brian Kelly, really? Yeah. Nope. How is? I don't know how that's allowed. Uh, it's, it's like they need to follow the NFL here. Um, but uh, I think Brian Kelly obviously hasn't named a starting quarterback either and won't until they get out there. Well, he has privately, not publicly. Um, anyways, thanks for doing that, Notre Dame. Uh, a couple people asked me what I thought about Merriweather not being on there. Frankly, I wasn't that surprised by it because I think if you look at what Chancey Stuckey said a few weeks ago, like he basically said they got to kind of ease him along a little bit. I think that, and I've said this a few times, there's almost this uh, thought amongst the the fan base that has turned into just 
this sort of irrational hope that he's just going to be like a playmaker from day one. Now, he's obviously very talented, but it's almost like trying to speak it into existence that he is going to be just this dominant kid from day one just because of how little there is in the wide receiver room right now. I just think that's kind of an unrealistic expectation of anybody from day one. Um, So I guess I wasn't shocked to not see him on the two deep. Uh, Other than that, I don't think I really had anything that I thought was that noteworthy. And I guess what I'll just be curious to follow is as we, we learned over the Brian Kelly era, that depth chart didn't always mean anything, like especially as the season went on. So I'll be curious to track how Marcus Freeman's depth depth chart lines up with reality as the season goes on. Yeah, for that reason, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into these depth charts. And to the point about Merriweather, if you think about last year and how impressive Lorenzo Styles was as a true freshman, like he didn't really get rolling until the second half of the season. So even if Merriweather has a better season than Styles, it's it's kind of unrealistic for us to expect him to come out against Ohio State and, you know, completely dominate and be on the field for 70 snaps or whatever the case may be. Now, with that being said, I do think he's going to play um, probably closer to like 15 to 20 snaps. I, th- I think he'll play more than like Deion Colsey, who's nursing a knee injury. But on the other side of the ball, I thought it was a little bit surprising that there's an or next to the names for all the safeties. Now, Chris O'Leary, the safeties coach, has been pretty coy in interviews about how Notre Dame is going to utilize their safeties. He said that they might use three safeties, or I think maybe the media saw them running three safeties and they asked him about it and he sort of dismissed it. It looks like they're going to try a bunch of different things out there, but it does look like DJ Brown is going to start opposite Brandon Joseph. And yeah, I'm with you guys. Seeing Jane Thomas as the starting slot receiver was a surprise, but I think they're just keeping this pretty close to the vest. And uh, another thing that kind of caught me was that we didn't see either of the true freshman tight ends, Eli Raritan or Holden Stays in the depth chart, Uh, but Davis Sherwood is. And now, Ashton, I know you've been around camp. You've seen these true freshmen a lot. Like specific to them, why do you think they were omitted, and do you think that we're going to see them against Ohio State? Um, I bet you probably don't see them against Ohio State. Um, I think you see them the next week against Marshall, but I mean, specific to them, they're both freak athletes, which is what we've been saying this entire time. Um, Eli Reardon's freaking massive. Every time I see him, I'm like, how is this kid 18 years old? Um. I think they're still working. It's kind of similar to Merriweather. It's like they're still working out. They're working out some blocking stuff. They're working out some pass catching stuff. I know that they're really high on Meredith's hands specifically. Um, so I think that he's probably a little farther along in the pass catch- catching area than than Stays is. But, I mean, I guess it's kind of – you could also talk about Raritan's injury. Like, he tore his ACL like eight months ago. And the first thing you're going to do is throw him out against – in Ohio state defense that while it's probably not the best in the country, like their offense, like it's a top 15 ish defense. Um, so I think that, yeah, I mean, you, you have mayor. I think that Bauman's been so impressive that you don't really need to throw these two guys out there. That being said, I think you do see them sooner rather than later. I'm just not sure it's on this stage. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and now that we're on the Ohio state game, let's really dive into it here. Now, this, this is Marcus Freeman's first regular season game as Notre Dame's head coach, and it is the first game for this new Notre Dame coaching staff. So, Luke, I'll go to you. What are your expectations for this group under Marcus Freeman? You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what they look like. Obviously, I'm not worried about 
uh, Tommy Reese. He's been in big games before. Um, big thing for me, too, is he's had nine months to script this game plan. Uh, I think a big key to winning this ball game or, or having a chance in this ball game is getting out to a quick and early lead. And, and something that Notre Dame has been good on the last several years is scoring on their first offensive drive with whatever the script is. Um, and as I alluded to, he's had nine months to figure out how he's going to put Notre Dame in positions to score throughout the game. I'm not the first one to make this reference, but it would really be nice if this game followed the path to Michigan 2018, where that was probably Brian Kelly's best game plan he ever had, um, and or, or up there at least for sure in a winning effort. Um, and I, I just I'm really eager to see what he's put together, just having all this time to to do something. Now, on the other side of the ball, I'm sure that Al Golden and Freeman have been having a lot of conversations over the last, what, seven, eight months since Golden got hired, collaborating on how they're going to stop these all-God receivers that everybody can't stop talking about. Um, additionally, like I'm interested to see what now Golden defense looks like because he hasn't called a defense in a college game since 2005. Um, he did a really good job with the Bengals linebackers this year, but that's pretty significant, like – for reference, 2005, I think I was in third grade. Rick Minner was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. And Golden was Marcus Freeman's age. He was 36. So, And I think he's now looked at, outside of Harry Heastan, as kind of like the old guy on this staff. So that's not insignificant to me. The game has changed so much since 2005. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But I, I think the larger thing for me is how does this team – look and how are they prepared under this new coaching staff? Because with Brian Kelly gone, there's no more Brian Kelly and big games excuse. Like where are fans going to turn if there's just a no show in this game? I don't know. So like that excuse is out the window. So I'm just eager to see if there's truly a different energy and, and a different level of preparedness in this big game. Yeah. I might be a little bit higher on golden than maybe Luke is. And I think that's more just from like a, a game management and understanding kind of how to handle a big environment. That gives me like when, when Tyler, you sent out these questions, that was kind of the first thing that popped into my head was if you took Al golden out of this equation and you have a defensive coordinator in there that does not have the resume that he does has never called a defense has never been a head coach, any of that stuff. I think I'm significantly more concerned about it. I'll also say, and I know we're going to get into like keys on both sides of the ball, but as Luke just said, the Ohio state passing attack is kind of the big, huge thing looming and both Mickens and um, O'Leary, the safe cornerback and safeties coaches, they've both been in environments like this. So I think similar to Reese, while it hasn't always been super pretty, um, they at least have some sort of experience with games of, of this magnitude. And hopefully the outlook that Freeman's brought um, helps get them through and they have a better showing than say Oklahoma state last January. But I think up front, like with, um, with Washington and obviously golden's also the linebackers coach. I kind of look at it as like that group is too, too talented and experienced to kind of mess this up. Like I have a hard time believing Foskey, Jason Admolola, even Justin Admolola, who's backing up Foskey. Like I have a hard time believing they just won't show up. Will they be able to stop every single play? Absolutely not. This offense is at Ohio state's ridiculous, but I think, the concern is more in the secondary and you have two coaches there that are experienced in addition to an Al Golden that, yes, I totally agree, Luke, that while there is a little bit of a question with having not called a defense in nearly two decades, he at least kind of knows what it's like to handle a big game, I guess. That's kind of where I stand. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I think the Al Golden Marcus Freeman dy dynamic is going to be really interesting to me because personally, I have a ton of faith 
and Tommy Reese in this game. He's been in these situations before as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. He was around um, under Chip Long, and he's he's been there. He's seen it. Like Luke said, he's had nine months to prepare for this. And most of all, I'm just so excited to see what this version of the Tommy Reese offense looks like with Tyler Buckner under center. And we we don't really know what to expect because we've you know we've heard about practice reports, a lot of RPO, quad RPO, basically giving the quarterback four different options every time he, he snaps the ball. I'm more concerned with how the defense is going to be managed just because we we haven't seen it yet. Like on one hand, you look at Ohio State and you say, okay, they got a new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles. That takes time. Implementing a new scheme takes time. Notre Dame brings in a new defensive coordinator, but the guy who was that before is the head coach. And, you know, Golden and Freeman are playing nice in practice, and I, I totally believe that things their relationship is strong. But what happens when things aren't going well on Saturday? Does Freeman step in? How does that work? How does that dynamic and power structure work on the sidelines? Because Al Golden will be on the sidelines, he said um, in a press conference this week. Obviously, the defense completely collapsed during the second half of the Fiesta Bowl. Now, that was Mike Elston calling plays, who's no longer with Notre Dame. He's with Michigan. And he also, they really only had three weeks to prepare. So I think we're all excited to see how Marcus Freeman is going to do in his first real game as a head coach with the staff that he that he hired. Um, another thing that I'm just curious to see is Freeman's demeanor on the sideline. Like, I know that that was a big... There was some fodder on message boards about how calm Freeman was as the game just like slipped through Notre Dame's fingers, and and he was really calm. Are we going to see a more animated Marcus Freeman on the sideline? We've heard about him sort of ripping guys in practice and just getting on them, and he's got high expectations. We're used to the you know very personable Marcus Freeman that we see in these press conferences, these interviews at these Notre Dame speaking events. Um, but you know all that goodwill could go out the window if things don't start off well this season. And I, I think that's what intrigues me the most about this game, is it's not so much like the X's and O's and stuff, because I think Notre Dame's going to do well, but the demeanor and how these coaches interact. So, Ashton, I'll, I'll toss it to you. How do you think that's going to work on, on uh, Saturday under the lights in Columbus? Like the the demeanor? Between yeah. Coaches are with... Yeah, I mean, I think that... In addition to obviously Freeman having a lot of trust in Golden, he wouldn't be on the staff if he doesn't. I think Golden has a lot of trust in Freeman. And again, to your point, I'm kind of talking about this with no idea how these two are going to operate together on the sideline. Largely, I'm just speculating and opining because we're sitting here. But um, I think that Golden's not coming. I think a big thing is Golden's not coming into this with a I'm older than you. Like, yeah, on paper, you have the title of head coach, but like I want to come in and overthrow your defense as we talked about all throughout the winter. I think that Golden genuinely like has a trust in Freeman and not, not necessarily will always defer obviously. And that's not what Freeman wants either. But I think that there is a mutual trust there that maybe if you looked at on paper, the resume head coach, that's 36 defensive coordinator with all this experience that I think he's 50, 49, something like that. Um, you might like speculate that there's going to be an issue there. I think there's maybe less of one than you could have. That being said, I don't really know. I don't think we know until we know. I, I feel like this has been talked about a lot with like Scott Frost, where it's like he comes in and you're like, this is the perfect person for this position. You truly have no idea. Like we're talking about this with absolutely no idea. So take that with a grain of salt because Scott Frost is not working out, but just too popped in my head. I didn't expect some Scott Frost conversation today. Um, all right, let's go to the offense here. We, we've talked a little bit about it. Um, 
What do you think are the keys for Notre Dame on offense Saturday, Luke? It's all going to come down to Tyler Buckner and his ability to, to handle that environment. But I think we all know that. Um, so I think another piece starts with the offensive line. Even with Jarrett Patterson questionable, and I think between the three of us, we're all somewhat skeptical and not very optimistic what, what that actually looks like in terms of him playing on Saturday. But I think this group still has the potential to be very good, even if he is out. But let's face it, every time they played a good opponent last year on the defensive side of the ball, they really didn't play very well, um, and they struggled, especially running the ball. That can't happen Saturday, and I'm just eager to see what that looks like because despite the talent and just the offseason work with Harry Heastand, I, I'm still wary of kind of what that group might look like on Saturday. Like We just assume they're going to be a lot better, and I think that that's a pretty large assumption to reach to reach you. And I, I know people have seen them in practice you know, Blake Fisher and Joe Alder are incredible. But I, I go back to something that Liam Eichenberg always used to say, and it was that it takes an offensive line a couple di- games to gel together before you really start kind of cooking. And Notre Dame doesn't have that luxury this year going up against Ohio State in week one. I, I mean, I go back to what Liam said. That was definitely true, that 2020 group that almost ended up winning the Joe Moore Award. They weren't very good to start that season, and then they were probably the second-best offensive line in the country that year. So – I just think they need a lights-out performance from that group on Saturday, and and they need to be able to run the ball. Uh, and I'm very eager to see what that looks like, outside of the obvious that Tyler Buckner has to play very well. And honestly, I feel pretty confident in his abilities to do that. I think that's the next biggest piece for me. Asher, what about you? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that the Buckner and the line obviously go hand in hand. Buckner's making his first start ever at the horseshoe at night. It's going to be loud. There's going to be 100,000 people there. And he's going to make mistakes. But I think those mistakes are minimized if he has time to go through his reads, to think about what he's doing for a second, instead of just being chased down by what is actually a really, really good Ohio State defensive line. Like, again, their offense gets all the love, and they absolutely should. But I mean, you have two of like the top 10 recruits from the 2021 class in Jack Sawyer and JT. I think it's Tuamaloao. Is that how you say it? Um, something like that. Tuamaloao. They're, they're both top 10 recruits in the country in their class. They're coming back to their second years. Taylor Williams didn't play a ton last year, still had five sacks. Like, this is a really, really good defensive line. And if Alt, Fisher, whoever's playing in Patterson's position, Logan Carell can't keep them, keep that defensive line in check among, I mean, obviously, all 11 of them in check, but particularly up front, um, Buckner's going to make a lot more mistakes than Notre Dame can afford, and they can't really afford any. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the key, in addition to the obvious, which is Tyler Buckner, but it is the offensive line. There's also, I mean, there's so many questions elsewhere, aside from Mayer, of course, but the wide receivers, we don't know exactly what they're going to look like. The running backs, I think there are three really good options there, but again, we don't really know. Tyree's very injury prone. Like, is Tyree going to twist his ankle? Because it seems like that happens a lot. <laughs> is Estimate really able to do all of these things that we've been told he's able to do? All of that. So I think when your offensive line is supposed to be kind of your, your token thing, as it is at Notre Dame, that has to work or else this is going to get ugly very quickly. Yeah, uh, I could see how that happens. For me, I would say from a schematic standpoint, what I'm really interested to see is how is Notre Dame going to counter the double teams that Ohio State puts on Michael Mayer? Like, Ohio State has nine months to prepare for this game, and we don't really know exactly how that defense is going to look under Jim Knowles. We know he runs a 4-2-5. 
And I think if you're Ohio State and you're Jim Knowles and, and you're smart here, you're going to look at 87 and you're going to double team Mayer on pretty much every play. And what can Notre Dame do to take advantage of that? In the Fiesta Bowl, we saw Lorenzo Styles get open on a seam down the middle of the field when Oklahoma State doubled Mayer across the middle, and it led to an easy touchdown. I think Notre Dame's skill guys are going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations with so much attention being put on Mayer. And that being said, Notre Dame is still going to need Michael Mayer to make some plays in some big spots, even if there are double teams. Notre Dame could always split them out wide and try to get them in some one-on-one matchups with an undersized corner. But the fact of the matter is Ohio State is sometimes, they're just going to eliminate Mayer on some of these plays because he's clearly their best player and that's what defenses try to do. So if Notre Dame skill guys are able to take advantage of these one-on-one situations, I think Notre Dame's offense is going to be in a really good spot. I mean, you guys have made the points. Like they got to be able to run the ball. They can't turn it over. And every single time that this game is brought up, I feel like people immediately point to the Oregon game last year when they were able to run all over Ohio State and win. But I I just don't think it's that easy. But something we haven't really touched on is like, yes, Notre Dame needs to run the ball. They've got Tyler Buckner. Ashton, you've been around this group. We've heard a lot about Audric Estime. You mentioned Chris Tyree is a little bit injury prone. And now Logan Diggs, who is somehow able to recover from a torn labrum in like the fastest time a human has ever recovered from that injury. If they're going to run the ball... Who's getting the majority of the carries? In this game In this game specifically. I yeah. think it's probably going to be Tyree. Um, I think might we might see Estime uh, creep up there later in the season. But I think for now it's Tyree. He's the most proven of the three, um, which I kind of said a little bit hesitantly because they're all relatively unproven. And as we brought up, Tyree is very injury prone, has had really rocky first two, uh, first two seasons at Notre Dame. Um that being said, like, I think – I'm trying to figure out exactly how to word this. I think that the fact that they're all listed on the depth chart as or, like, it's not it, – I mean, they're listed Tyree Diggs Esme, but it's Tyree or Diggs or Esme. So it's really a 1A, 1B, 1C situation. That's the way that Tyler Horka, my old colleague at BGI, characterized it earlier in an article that he wrote. Um, so I think having those three with – semi-different skill sets obviously estimate is more different than the other two digs and Tyree are relatively similar but I think having those three and having those skill sets keeps Ohio State a little bit on their toes especially because it is the first game of the year so they're not exactly sure how they're going to use them um I think that is very beneficial but I do think at the end of the day if if you're wondering who to hand it to you're going to hand it to Tyree barring goal line situation then you're obviously going to hand it to Esme. but the other 90 yards of the field I think it's going to Tyree okay Luke, you mentioned you're confident Tyler Buckner. How involved do you think he'll be in the running game this Saturday? I think he'll have to be involved a decent amount. I mean, obviously, you don't want to run him a million times throughout the course of this season, but, like, this is one of those games where everything's on the table, and, like, you got to use the strengths you do have, and and just you got to put it all out there. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I I would expect him to be, you know, there there will be a number of design runs on on Saturday night in the horseshoe. Yeah, I hope they get him involved because last year he was honestly like the second best runner on the team maybe. And uh, the one thing, though, is if he is going to run, please, please learn how to slide, Tyler Buckner. We cannot be running over linebackers again this year now that you're the starter that just simply cannot happen but let's shift gears here uh to the defensive side of the ball Ashton I'll let you lead us off here what are the keys for Notre Dame on defense 
So Marcus Freeman was asked about this today and he started with, you have to be able to stop the run. And I get why he said that. And I think that's part of him conceding that you can't fully stop this passing game. That being said, I mean, I think the focus, the key has to be on the secondary. You have, you cannot have an Ohio state, not Ohio state, Oklahoma state 2.0 here. You have Brandon Joseph, um, the transfer from Northwestern who's basically seen as the heir to Kyle Hamilton's throne. Obviously Hamilton did not play against Oklahoma state and presumably would have cushioned that blow a little bit had he been on the field. Um, but I think, yeah, the secondary is kind of the key here. And Joseph, the last time he saw Ohio State, he picked off Justin Fields in the end zone with one of the most beautiful interceptions of that entire season. So he's not scared to get out there. I think that this group is very confident. And I think that having Cam Hart back, presumably 100%, I don't I think he's about close to 100%. I don't know that he's fully 100%, but um, I think Lewis has recovered a bit. We're going to find out, but Lewis has recovered a bit from that Oklahoma State game. I think a lot of these guys are just, they're a lot smarter than they were. And that's not to say they weren't intelligent prior to this year, but if you talk to them, all they talk about is they're all like film geeks now. Like that's all they watch. So I I hope that they're able to make better in-game decisions. And I also hope that they're focused on fundamentals at the beginning of camp and in the spring, i.e. tackling is... Uh, has been fixed a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's a little bit of PTSD from the Fiesta Bowl, but I think that the key here is is in the secondary. That also, I'll add to my previous point that I said earlier, I think it's going to be really hard for Foskey and Adam Lola and J- Jason and Justin to mess this up just because they're so good. Um, I think if, if this is going to get messed up, it's going to be in the uh, third level of the game. I think the key are, are pressure and, and turnovers. I mean, you have a first-round pick, a defensive end, and Isaiah Foskey. I think you have another guy in Riley Mills who's just due to to bust out this year in a big way. I think they just need to beat the absolute hell out of Ohio State's offensive line. You look at what Michigan did to them last year. I mean, Hutchinson had three sacks. Ajabo had one, too. Like, obviously, I mean, Strauss still almost threw for 400 yards in that game, and it didn't really matter because he was under duress all day. Uh, I think you just need to you just need to get after this guy all day, get him on the ground early and often, and, and see if that can affect his play and, and maybe to force him into some mistakes. That's where that turnover thing comes comes into play. I think it's really hard to win these sort of games without some sort of good fortune. I, I mean, you look at Notre Dame when they beat Clemson in 2020, where Clemson fumbled three times. I think uh, that. I don't know if that's something you can replicate necessarily, but if you can get one or two of those or, or one's a pick, why the hell not? Like you just got to try to get turnovers. And, and I think that comes from applying pressure all day because that's re- the strength of your defense is up front. And I think they can overwhelm Ohio state's offensive line and make this a lot more interesting than a lot of other people think. Yeah. I mean, there's no way you can truly stop these wide receivers. You can contain them, but one way that you could help your uh, secondary out is if the, uh, defensive line gets pressure and then forces right. Stroud into some bad decisions. That that could be huge. But sort of on that note, the main thing for me is going to be tackling. Like Ashton, you already mentioned it last season, at, especially at the beginning of the year, tackling was a huge problem. Like we couldn't fucking tackle Toledo at all. <laughs> we let up big plays left and right to Toledo. That simply could not happen against Ohio State. And especially a team with guys like, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson because one missed tackle on those guys and they're gone. Like that's a house call. And like the most standard cliche ever for a defense is, well, you want to keep everything in front of them. Well, okay. Yeah. Especially in this case, you can't get beat over the top because, and these guys have the playmakers to do it. So 
when they run those underneath routes that Ryan Day loves, I think he literally killed Michigan in 2019 just running mesh over and over and over again. I don't think that's going to happen, but for Notre Dame, if you've got a guy wrapped up, like you have to bring them down, or if you have an angle on him, you have to get them down, or else you start giving up some big plays, and, and this game could get ugly in a hurry. But Ashton, you did say that Notre Dame has been focused on tackling. Am I, am I going to be pleased with the tackling effort on Saturday? I hope so. They look pretty good. I mean, we didn't get a – that's a lot of what the coaches told us. We didn't get to see a lot of um, live reps in, in practice at all. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think this this fundamentals thing, that's another thing in addition to just, like, the general just being more football intelligent, which is what all of them told us. Um, it was that focus on fundamentals, on turnovers, on tackling. Um, I think – and you kind of said it, like, that can't happen. I think that's the mentality that the coaches have had. And, obviously, I don't have a standard of comparison. I wasn't here last year. So, I don't know exactly how much of that same um, focus was, was – uh, put in put on in practice I don't know whatever you know what I mean um <laughs> but yeah I mean I I th- I hopefully it's better hopefully it's better for Brandon Joseph because that was his issue if you look at his um grades from the past two years tackling's like his major major issue so I think um if that if that's not if you're if your star safety can't tackle that's going to be an issue against this offense yeah just a little <laughs> bit he did look good in the spring game though so we have that. He did. He did. He had um he stopped estimate a couple times in the open field, which I was like, okay, we can Yeah. Yeah. If you can do that, I feel pretty good about where your tackling's at. Now, we've talked about the major keys on both sides of the ball, kind of a lot of the same stuff that we've been hearing all summer. Is there an under the radar difference maker you see in this game? Luke, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, how about how long and how much Notre Dame's had to hear about how fucking good Ohio State is, honestly. Like, I've brought it up before that I kind of think the comparisons to Alabama are a little bit too much. I don't think they're on Alabama's level. Um, This is still the same Ohio State team that got the shit kicked out of them by Michigan 10 months ago. Physically abused. So I don't know how many times I've heard this game is, isn't going to be very competitive, yada, yada, yada. Today there was a headline talking about Ohio State's receivers calling them some of the most talented to ever play in the history of the game. That was outrageous. Um, I just My point is that Notre Dame's had a lot of guys that have played in some really big games. They played in the college football playoff. They have guys who've beaten number one Clemson. Like There's a reason Isaiah Foskey came back. The Ademiola brothers came back, Bo Bauer, et cetera. Like, they thought there was something special here. They wanted to play for Marcus Freeman, and they felt like they had a chance to compete for a national title this year. So, like, you don't think that it annoys them a little bit that all they've heard is basically don't show up to the first game of the year because that's kind of what the conversation has been for months now? I just think, you know, the game's still played on the field, but that has to have some sort of influence Isaiah Foskey said as much that like he thinks this team is unstoppable that they have, and that's Notre Dame, not Ohio State. So I'm just really eager to see if they're able to to kind of use that as fuel going into this game. Like obviously you don't want to get too caught up in that, but I just I have to believe that it's been too hard to ignore for as long as it's been going on. Asher, what about you? Yeah, I'll go player specific here. I think the two freshman corners, Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison, obviously they're not gonna start, but I feel like Kind of going off of what Luke was saying, the the knock when Notre Dame plays Alabama is they don't have the five-star talent and they don't have the backups to match Alabama's backups. Now, obviously, neither one of these guys is a five-star. You're not going to be able to remedy that overnight. That being said, I think if you do have these backups in these two corners that the coaching staff absolutely loves, that can maybe mitigate 
that a little bit when you do have to cycle Cam Hart out, uh, Tariq Bracey out, Clarence Lewis out, whoever. Um, and I think that their confidence level, like they're going into this game. Yes. They're true freshmen. They've never played a college football game before, but they're two of the most confident guys on the team. Like Mickey trash talks to Tommy Reese's face in practice, according to some of the players and Morrison, like the day that Logan Diggs got his contact jersey off Morrison, like lit him up because he just like, he was like, this is football. Like, this is what we're going to do. So I think those two, because I mean, they're very under the radar in the sense that they're not starting, but um, I think that those two, their confidence level, they're not going to be intimidated by this environment, which is a good sign because obviously you're starting two or three, including Bracey at nickel. Um, they are not going to play every single snap. And if you have freshmen that you have to throw in out of necessity to get them a break and those guys aren't confident. And I mean, obviously these guys are talented too, but if they're not confident, like they're going to get burned immediately. I'm not sure these guys are going to get burned from a lack of confidence. They might just because of freak athletes like Jackson Smith and Jigba, but um, confidence is half the battle here. So I don't know. Yeah. Those, those are the two that stuck out to me and maybe the two like non-starters that I'm most excited to see play. How much do you think we'll see them play? Like not special teams. How, how yeah, yeah. often do you think they'll be rotating out there uh, in the secondary? 15, 20 snaps. Maybe. Okay. I, I mean, mean, that's a ton for a true freshman in their first game, especially well, the reason. Season. So the reason I kind of say that is because when you ask Freeman about freshmen playing, he doesn't really give an answer ever until he was asked about these two. And he was like, they're going to play. So that kind of made me think they're going to play a little bit more. Um, I mean, maybe 10 to 15. I don't know. I think it's more than like two. Yeah, I would say 20 seems like a lot, just based on what we've been hearing about how good Tariq Bracey and Cam Hart and yeah. those guys have been. I guess I'm thinking that Ohio State's going to run like 95 plays. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope um, not. That's but, probably not good if yeah. they're running 95 oh, Yeah, plays. okay, I'll lower 10, 10-ish. How's yeah, that? I mean, they're probably getting in on like nickel and dime packages, so probably obvious passing downs in important situations. So even then, uh, that would be a lot for me. I think the fact that this game is a season opener is kind of getting lost in all this. And this might be, admittedly, me sort of like talking myself into Notre Dame winning. Um, But, like, we all agree, I think, that Ohio State is the more talented team on paper. But how often do teams come out of the gate clicking on all cylinders, especially under new defensive coordinator who's implementing an entirely different scheme? Last year, when Ohio State opened against Minnesota, they didn't look that great. C.J. Stroud especially did not look that great. Now, obviously, he figured things out as the season went along, and he had a great season. But I I don't know, especially for Notre Dame's case, they rarely come out clicking on all cylinders, and it's just sort of natural. Like, you've been practicing against your own team for three weeks and all throughout the summer and the spring as well, and then all of a sudden you have this really talented team or sometimes not even that talented team across from you, and it's just different. The teams commit more penalties. They commit more dumb turnovers. Now, Obviously, everything I'm saying could be applied to Notre Dame, but for the sake of this, I'm saying it's going to impact Ohio State a little bit more. And I just feel comfortable about where Notre Dame is. And in a game like this, like you got to hope, like Luke was saying, you you need some good fortune. You need the other team to make some mistakes. And and really what I'm saying here is I'm much happier that Notre Dame is playing Ohio State in, in week one than week seven. Because, you know, by that point, they're a really talented team, real well-coached team as well. They're probably going to have things figured out. Ashton, do you think that'll have any difference on this game at all? Or is this just me being a little bit delusional and trying to convince myself that Notre Dame's going to win? 
No, I think it totally is. I mean, I think, yes, you're right. It can be applied to Notre Dame, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you gave me the option to play Ohio State now or play on Thanksgiving weekend like Michigan is, I want them right now. Um, primarily on the defensive side of the ball because Jim Knowles, I mean, he has a lot of talent at his disposal, and obviously he's proven he's very good at his job. But, like, he's not going to have all of this figured out. Again, you could apply this to Notre Dame and Al Golden. But for the sake of this exercise, as you said, we're only going to apply it to Ohio State. So, yeah, I would rather do it now than in November. Yeah. For sure. And hey, if you look at Jim Knowles and how long it took him to transform that Oklahoma State to even took him like five years. So now he's yeah. going to do it all in one game. All right, let's get to the score predictions. Uh, Luke, let's start with you because I loved your score predictions last year and I, I think you're going to deliver again here in I'm week pretty one. Sure I've, First I'm, one pretty sure I've only, I'm pretty sure I've only picked against this once and it's when we played Alabama in 2020. Uh, I did say last week we we're going to lose this game, but I'm I've changed my mind. Uh, it's, Notre, <laughs> it's it's Notre Dame thirty one, Ohio State twenty seven. I've talked about this before. Ohio State's one and five in the horseshoe against Power Five teams that aren't in the Big Ten since two thousand five. I think history repeats itself again. They don't show up in these games, um, and I think what happens is is something you see. Notre Dame has a really good game plan in place that they've had been working on for nine months now. I think Isaiah Foskey has multiple sacks. I think Riley Mills does too, and Notre Dame gets a turnover or two. They don't turn the ball over on the offensive side of the ball, and, and they're able to run it, and, and I think Notre Dame shocks Ohio State in the horseshoe, and uh, they start the year 1-0. So 31-27 Irish. I'm not surprised you got to this point. I guess the only thing that surprises me is the difference isn't more. <laughs> you only have Notre Dame winning by four. <laughs> Uh, no. Garbage. I mean, it's it's thirty-one twenty <laughs> until a garbage time touchdown. Okay. With yeah, yeah, sure, we'll go with right. that. Actually, go. yeah, I kind of like that idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's right. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> never change, Luke. This is like last year after the Toledo game. I think Luke predicted Notre Dame to win by like fifty the following week. Oh um, <laughs> no, I did not. Actually, I did not. Or maybe, was it fifty in the Toledo? I said game? they were going to beat Toledo by fifty. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to go an hour on Marshall next week to talk about how we're going to beat them by 60 for that to be a two-point game. All right. Um, Ashton, what's your prediction? Um, well, I hope I'm wrong and Luke's yeah. right. Because I have a 38-24 in favor of Ohio State. I think this game stays close in the first half. I think, as we talked about, Notre Dame is able to score because I think Noel's defense is not going to be perfect on day one. That being said, I do eventually think that Notre Dame uh, – it's kind of the backup situation, I, which I just touted at the corner position. But I think in general, I think this this offense is going to be able to wear Notre Dame down a little bit. I think this is like a, a seven-point game going into the last eight minutes or so. Um, so I am kind of saying like 38-24, but it's 31-24 into the last X number of minutes. But, um, yeah, I, I just – maybe it's just me protecting myself from disappointment. I just don't know that they're able to win this game. But I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Ashton, you had a great quote there. You said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Luke is right. That's pretty much what I've said about every single score prediction that we have ever done. Because Luke's you gotta have balance. You gotta have somebody who's all in. What, what, what are you talking year. about? We, we've lost like four games the last three years. What like nobody's no, wrong. Ever. No, I mean that the margin of victory for you is always much greater. And I feel like we could have saved. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. A lot of like close games if you had just been right with the score prediction. Look, I've tried to get to the point where I predict Notre Dame, but I can't get there. Um, unfortunately, just I'm going to be honest, I can't really get rid of that Fiesta Bowl and how our secondary made Spencer Sanders look like a Heisman candidate. I know the circumstances were different, 
But it's just really hard for me to think that the defense is going to improve so much from that time to now that they're going to be able to shut down this passing attack. So I'm going to take Ohio State 41-27. I do think it's going to be close. I even think there's going to be opportunity probably mid to late third quarter where Notre Dame could have a chance to, to take control of this game. But I don't know if Notre Dame's wide receivers are going to be able to keep up. 41-27, obviously that's a high-scoring game. There's going to be a lot of plays. And last year, in the second half of that Fiesta Bowl, our receivers just got burnt out by the end. And Ohio State can just kind of keep bringing guys in. And plus they have a really awesome running back that we don't really we haven't really talked about a whole lot, but I just think that they're a little bit better today. Now, that being said, I still think Notre Dame is a really good team. And we'll have a really great season, but it's just hard for me to get to the point where they're knocking off Ohio State in Columbus in week one. We didn't even talk about how the spread is 17 and a half. Yeah. yeah. Is, so we all predict Notre Dame's going to cover. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. It's so yeah. nice. I was also just going to add quickly, the fact that we haven't talked about Trevion Henderson, as you just said, and he is literally a Heisman candidate, yeah. according to everyone, yeah. is a testament to how terrifying this offense is. But we'll see. Yeah. The hope maybe, there, maybe, yeah. the, maybe some of his freshman tendencies aren't gone and he drops a ball or something. Yeah, and Ohio State's got to replace two all-Big Ten guys in the offensive line. So you, I guess we're just hoping that they don't run the ball that much. But, Luke, we should talk about the spread real quick before we go. 17.5 is crazy. That's higher than Notre Dame was against Georgia in 2019 when I felt right. that was I, – I felt like – I think what was that, 15.5? I think so. I think it may have closed closer to fourteen, but yeah. it got up to like. But that that felt it got up right. To and a half at one point. Yeah, it might have. It was kind whatever of whatever it was. It kind of felt right at the time because Notre Dame hadn't really looked that good. Um, now, obviously, we know how that game went. This one, I don't like. You're you're trying to tell me that basically outside of three teams in the country, Ohio State is favored by at least 17 against everybody in the like that just doesn't make any sense to me I'm sorry that's just not the case yeah I see that and also like Notre Dame was 19 and a half point dogs to Alabama in the CFP semifinal after um, 2020 that felt appropriate (laughs) at the time and Notre Dame covered I think they Mm -hmm. lost by uh, 17. So yeah, they did. This seems like um, a lot. And the thing is, it keeps going up. Like I actually thought it kind of come down to 14. Um, It just, it just hasn't. So it seemed to jump right after the Patterson news. And then it has just stayed, even though the Patterson news, it, I feel like it's gotten, well, maybe this was just like message board fodder, but there was a rumor that it was like a serious foot injury. And that's when I saw it jump. And then obviously it's not, serious serious in terms of out for the season or anything and it still just really hasn't come back down but i guess people are just operating a little bit under the assumption he's not going to play which is kind of the upper yeah what was that what was that one tweet we saw last week somebody blamed it on the spring i was just gonna say at least that analysis is more sound than what we saw last week i don't remember who posted it but they were talking about the spread and how it opened at like 14 and a half or whatever and basically this guy was making the point that the spread opened at 14 and a half and then the spring game happened as if that's all of a sudden some indication the spring game that the starting yeah, quarterback did, did not play. play. <laughs> and you know, the fact that it's a fucking spring game. <laughs> there is that one guy that just tweets about, he tweeted about every, yeah, like that's all of our opponents. Spring. Too. Yeah. <laughs> it was lo- like, watch the USC spring game was locked the in. The Navy like, spring game. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen enough. The Lincoln Riley era is going to fail. I just watched a scrimmage. 
All right, I think it's time we wrap up here. You guys got any final thoughts on Ohio State before we close this Can out? Can you imagine watching the Navy spring game as a non-Navy no. fan? <laughs> that's yeah, that's uh, next level sick. As a Navy fan, yeah. maybe. No disrespect. Yeah, or as a Navy fan, exactly. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for serving our country, but yeah, I just man. want to watch the spring game. Yeah. No. Um, uh, I have nothing more. I just want this game to happen so we can stop talking about it, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. yeah, it's fair. I'm ready to move on from this one big time, but – if they win, I'm going to talk about this for the rest of my life. If Notre Dame wins this game, would it be the biggest win of our lifetimes? I say yes. Um, um, I, I might think going into Norman in 2012 and beating them is close. Yeah, somebody asked me about that the other day, and I like, I feel like this is just so different because that was like Notre Dame was like seven and zero at that time. So like, just because like at the juncture of the season, like this. Obviously, that was a massive, massive game and like a very impressive win. But this just feels different, just because there's been so much build up to it. And so, like, I, I just don't know if it's an apples to apples comparison. But yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I, how, where I fall on that. Okay, I, I would say it is just because, like, as great as that Oklahoma win was, and the stakes and being in contention for the national championship, it gave us a little bit of a false hope that we were now an elite program. Whereas, like, in this game, if Notre Dame goes into Columbus and beats Ohio State, I really do think it says a lot more about where the program is at compared to the elites of college football than that win against Oklahoma did, as, as great as it was. And then, well, Anthony Brown did win at the Horseshoe last year, so I, let's not get over <laughs> our skis here. Are you going to be saying that after the game if Notre Dame wins? We're like, guys, we should actually calm down because Anthony yeah. Brown beat us. I mean, I, I picked us to win, so yeah, maybe. That's true. You'll come in next week like, I'm actually not satisfied with that yeah. performance. Here's What's fun. actually going to happen is in like five years, you're going to ask the same question about like the game or something, and then you're going to be like, well, ah, I geez. think that in 2022 it gave us a false sense of hope that Notre Dame was elite when they beat Ohio State, and then they just yeah. crumbled. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, all right. No. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's a good place. Then it's it. a good note to end on. Yeah. That'll do it for this episode of Sun Saturday. Ashton, thank you again for joining Thanks us on the show. Me. And thank you guys for listening or watching. If you're on YouTube, if you are watching us on YouTube, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and like this video. And if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. Luke and I will be back next Sunday. Yes. Sunday. We're going to be releasing our shows a bit different this year. So be sure to, to follow us um, on all of our social media channels at Sons of Sat Irish to stay updated on all of our content throughout the year. We hope everyone enjoys the game this Saturday, and uh, we'll be here to talk through with you guys the very next day. So we'll talk to you soon. Go Irish. Go Irish.